Hello and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Trauma. I'll be joined by Christy Place, a clinical psychotherapist who specializes in addiction and complex trauma. Christy has been working in her field for 15 years and as a survivor herself, she has continually walked with many people on their road to recovery. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Christy, welcome to Let's Be Honest. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm so happy you're here. Me too. <laughs> We've been planning this for a while and it's we finally have. happening. We have. Brilliant. Well, thank you for making the trip up. We're going to talk today about uh, recovery and what that looks like for different people. And I guess the underlying topic of that is trauma and how do people move through trauma? What causes trauma to happen? and how and can people recover from it. Um, so we just tell everybody about your experience as a therapist and what kind of work you do, because I know all about it and I know how brilliant you are, but everyone else should know. You're so sweet. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have a private practice um, here in the metro area um, of Atlanta, and most of the folks that I work with struggle with um, substance use or abuse. Mm-hmm. They're either in recovery Um, or they are in and out of recovery. Um, And I would say 95% of all clients I work with, some with substance, drug, and alcohol use, and some not, all have what's called complex trauma. Um, And what that means, complex trauma versus just saying trauma, is that they have had more than one event, situation, um, period of time that has impacted their life in a way that feels, excuse me, out of control, um, unmanageable, and is, again, is impacting their wellness and and their life. Mm -hmm. Um, So trauma can be lots of different things. Um, I think at times our culture can be quick to throw out the word trauma Mm -hmm. when certain things are not traumatic. Right. Um, For example, I've been to a major department store and was standing next to two young adult females, and I heard one of them say, oh my God, they don't have the handbag that I thought I really, I was going to get today. That is so traumatic. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, like that's just silly, isn't it? Correct, right. silly. And, and nonetheless, that's, you know, just being light on the word trauma. Right. So not giving it the weight it deserves. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Some things might be disappointing or uncomfortable, but trauma is a different, a different, experience for people absolutely and the same event Mm -hmm. can impact people differently and just because an event is maybe not great let's use the example of a car accident Um, nobody wants to be in a car accident Mm -hmm. Um, a car accident can feel jarring and scary and certainly unpredictable Um, and so two different people may be in similar car accidents and one person may be able to kind of shake some of that off certainly feel a little jarred, um, be a little hesitant maybe about driving again, but pretty quick and soon they're back on the road, either in a rental car, their car's gotten fixed Mm -hmm. and they're okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little more guarded, but they're okay. Another person can be in the exact same similar type of car accident and it may have deeply impacted their entire system. Mm -hmm. And when I say system, I mean proprioceptor system, vestibular system, nervous system, Um, 
and that they are very scared to drive again. Right. They are having nightmares about it. They mm-hmm. are um, maybe not wanting to ride with someone in the car during the same time of day that the car accident happened. So, so it really is depending on a person and how something is impacting their life. Mm. Is what makes it trauma. That's really interesting. My mother had a car accident when I was 11. Um, a motorcyclist crashed into her and it was absolutely his fault. He was known to be a daredevil. Like he'd pop wheelies and do donuts. Like he was very, um, a dangerous driver. And she was pulling out onto a roundabout. She was absolutely on the roundabout first. It's funny as I'm saying this, how defensive I feel about it. Because what was what happened after was I would say traumatic for me. Um, but the guy died The mm. if I'm remembering it correctly, the handlebar of, of his motorcycle actually went through his chest and he died on the scene, but he was, he was going down a 20 mile an hour road at 85. I believe had his girlfriend on the back. She got her head wedged under a car, like stuck. It was, it was, a, it wasn't just like a crash and a, a fender bender, like a bump. Um, and, she had this experience afterwards of obviously she had to deal with a situation where somebody died and death itself you know that's one situation to deal with but her name got dragged through the mud in our town in our community and she had to go to court and there had to be a lot of clearing her name and obviously the family were really angry and you know she she was the one that got hurt and luckily she was in a particular type of Audi that um, had side airbags because he hit her on her on the driver's side and she was okay. She had a lot of, she had whiplash and glass come at her, but if she had been in any other car, the police told her she would have died on impact. Like just the force of that. Mm. Um, so that was a very complex situation. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, as I said, the death was traumatic having to clear her name, even though she was on the roundabout at first and he hit her like, you know, and I experienced, it's funny how trauma sometimes ripples out it and does. affects other people. Cause I wasn't at the scene but I remember I was at my, I was I was studying to go to like a grammar school in the UK and, and I had to have a tutor and I was trying to pass these exams. Um, and I went once a week. I remember it was on a Thursday and my mum was actually on, on her way to pick me up. And I remember my tutor came in and said, you know, oh, your mum's going to be a few minutes late. And I was like, okay, and didn't really think anything of it. And then had to wait in, you know, in, in the living room. And this little voice said to me, if anything's wrong with your mum, because it had been enough time that I was like, this is weird, my mum's never late, your Aunt Jill will come and pick you up. And I remember my Aunt Jill walked through through the door like a few minutes later, and I knew in that moment something was wrong. Mm. And and my Aunt Jill's very good at, like, um, kind of just smoothing things over and making everything seem smooth. She was like, oh, you, your mum got into a little bit of a car bump, but, you know, I'm going to take you home and we're going to come pick up, you know, her daughter, who I you know consider my sister, like, we're gonna come pick up Georgia, and just made it really like don't you know. And I was eleven; I was quite young. But then when I couldn't see my mum that night because she was so messed up and everything, that you know that was another layer of like, oh my god, now I'm separated from my family. I have to stay at somebody else's mm-hmm. house. You know, so it's just funny how t- trauma can can ripple out. And then I had to go to school as a young eleven year old girl, and was bullied about it, and and told that my mum was a murderer, and like you know mm. she'd kill. It was you know, awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it is interesting how, you know, that one decision from one person has this complete ripple effect. Mm-hmm. You can throw one pebble in the lake and it only impacts one spot, but the ripples go to the entire body of water. Absolutely. And it was the same for that situation. Obviously that's only one example, but how one decision to speed mm-hmm. 
in that one moment in time, it killed him. His girlfriend ended up having a head trauma and a collapsed lung. My mum got injured. It affected us emotionally. It affected his family. It rippled out and impacted the whole town and the whole mm-hmm. community. How much do you think the decisions we make as people have that, what some people call like the butterfly effect? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, th- I think it happens moment to moment every day. Um, certainly on the level of something as significant as trauma, um, but even even in the positive realm, right? Kind of mm-hmm. doing that. We've seen so many television commercials, which I think are brilliantly done, which is someone doing a random act of kindness and mm. someone watching that. Right. And therefore, then they turn around a day later, moments later, and do something else kind for someone else because yeah. they had witnessed that. It's that it's, domino effect. Absolutely. So whether it's in their conscious or subconscious, you know, but um, there are absolutely research studies and, and lots of different um historical and what we call biopsychosocial history on people who certainly have had what we call secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, or even intergenerational trauma. Mm. Um, There are people who will say they have felt the wounds of their ancestors Mm. um, or they are impacted in some similar way. So absolutely things can get passed down. And you know what you're describing from this car accident with your mom some of that what is what we call, you know, kind of secondary trauma. While mm-hmm. you weren't there at the scene and mm-hmm. you weren't a part of the car accident, you were secondarily feeling a continuation of the impact of what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. So might that have been traumatic for you? Cer- certainly as a, as a small child and feeling very out of control and having peers say so many things about you mm-hmm. um, that, again, felt out of control and outside of kind of social norms and mm-hmm. constructs when you're that age. Yeah. Um, so absolutely there's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a ripple effect with everything. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned um, the intergenerational trauma and the ancestral trauma. Um, for the millennials, um, there's a lot of... Um, movement or you know there's this meme that goes around that you know it's great when you look at it and says you know when when you're dating somebody the first thing you should ask is you know um you know what do you do with your life and how are you healing your ancestral traumas but it is this very like throwaway comment Uh but you know so it's nice that there's this awareness like that I think uh that the millennial generation is very good at um, talking about mental health, they're certainly a lot better than the generations that came mm-hmm. before them. It's normal to get therapy. It's not, you know, hush, hush. Uh, and people are talking about things like trauma and ancestral trauma. But I think the next layer or level that people need to get to is, okay, well, you can acknowledge it, but how do we actually go through the work of mm-hmm. of doing it? Um, I feel personally like I, I deal with ancestral trauma. My family members... Um, particularly in my direct line, have had some of the most harrowing things I've ever even heard of happen to them. And I was not um, a child when I found out, so I didn't have to deal with that in my childhood, which was which was lovely. Um, I was more of an, a young adult when I found out. But now it's like I carry that with me. I can't not have it affect me. And it's interesting because when I was a child, obviously that person who had um, experienced trauma um was impacted by it and that affected the way I was raised so I was experiencing these mm-hmm. what you're calling you know secondary trauma that's right 
um, emotions and, and experiences without knowing what it was. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out, like it clicked so much more. Mm-hmm. And I've ha- tried to do a lot of work to, to break cycles and to not carry like the wounds of, of people, you know, in, mm-hmm. from their past. That's sure. interesting. <clears throat> and it's, it's complex because... People are passing things down. Some people are passing things down, and they don't even know that they're passing things down. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to do our own work mm-hmm. um, and to have some awareness mm-hmm. around how things have impacted us. And sometimes, you know, I also think in our culture in the United States, we're quick to brush things off or slough things off um, or just keep trudging. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that's a generational thing. Yeah, like that workhorse mentality. You just got to make it through. Absolutely. You know, and if, if we look back in the, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, certainly the 30s and 40s, it, it there wasn't, um, it, based on how culture and society was set up, there wasn't time to talk about um, it, thoughts and feelings and how things are impacting you. While people certainly did, especially during the Great Depression, um, there's a reason it was called the Great Depression for a myriad of reasons, but it was uh, kind of feast or famine and it was, you know, pulling kids out of schools and going to work and we've got to figure out how to make ends meet. And, um, if you were just really down or sad that day, um, there wasn't so much of a, Hey mom, can you, can you call me, call me in a note or, Mm. um, I just don't feel good. It was, it wasn't an option, right? You just went to work and you Mm. went and did it. And then you could talk about your feelings later. So, um, certainly a cultural thing Mm. as well as a generational thing. Yeah. Um, which I think in lots of ways, older generations, and I say older, I mean 40 and older, mm-hmm. um, you know, do struggle, I think, at times with the mentality of, like you use the word millennials, of the work the work ethic around um, for some people mm-hmm. um, in the millennial generation is really different. Um, and they want to make a difference right away, and they want to um, – kind of rise above in the ranks and they want to start doing things that are meaningful and purposeful right now. Mm. Um, and they're in this phase and they're in this place in their life with technology, which is you can make things happen right now. Mm. And that's technology. And what we know is, um, experiencing things that bring us joy, um, finding success and working up to climb the mountain, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, to get to the summit. It doesn't matter how, how long or short it takes you to get up there, but you still have to climb it. It's still the same climb. It's still the same climb. And I think for a lot of, not all millennials, certainly, but I think for a lot of, a lot of them, it's like, I just want to get there already. You're right. And if I'm not there. No patience. That's right. And if I'm not there, then like, I'm not making a difference Mm. or, you know, what am I doing? Or this job isn't working out. And it's like, you've only been here six months. Like, right. Like, give it a minute. So Yeah. People need to give more credit or time to the journey. I think that's a big problem with the with the movement of technology, it brings so much goodness, but then, you know, people who use it are interested in instant, instant gratification and get really down if they don't have it. I so connect with what you're saying. Absolutely. And you know, there's a, um, I think there's a, a, and I know I'm, I'm kind of segueing off of trauma. Um, but I think trauma does impact, um, the, the newer generation, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, in a different way. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're kind of having folks set up with that immediate gratification, you know, 
um, way back when, when TV shows came out, you didn't have to wait from one week to the next to see the next episode. Now you can sit down and binge watch something. Mm. Um, you know, if you want to bu- go buy something, you don't have to wait until your mom or dad can take you to go get it somewhere. You order it on Amazon and it's here the next day. Mm. So there's lots of different pieces um, where I think also times um, we tend to hear, quote, again, the millennials um, and people constantly are saying they're so entitled. They're so entitled. Mm. Um, and I don't actually think it's about entitlement at all. I think they're impatient. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's for sure true. And so do we have entitled people out there? Of course we do. We have entitled mm. 50-somethings out there, yeah, 40-somethings mm-hmm. out there, not just the 20, 20 and early 30-somethings. So I also think with some of that, again – not that that's necessarily traumatic per se, but I do think our culture sets us up for different things. Yeah, it would be nice to have a sort of meeting of the mind of the generations in some way, because um, you know everybody has something to offer and and each could learn from mm-hmm. each other. What's an example of complex trauma? Because I know you broke down the different types of mm-hmm. trauma. So, you know, again, complex trauma for someone, and those are the folks that I work with in my practice. These are people who have not just had, let's say, if someone comes in and says, yeah, I had a really awful car accident. It really messed me up for a long time. And then I'll say, anything else traumatic going on? They're like, no, not really. So that would kind of be a single episode trauma, which still really stinks. Complex trauma, an example of complex trauma might be Maybe they were in a car accident as a young child. Maybe they were sexually assaulted as a teenager. Um, And maybe they were part of a natural disaster, let's say a tornado, um, in their early 30s. Um, That certainly could be this is a person who has complex trauma. If if those events are continuing to impact their life Mm -hmm. in a way that blocks themselves from accessing um, happiness, joy, fulfillment, Mm -hmm. things that they really are actually desiring. Another example of complex trauma might be someone who grows up in a home where domestic violence is happening. Mm. And that could even be, I mean, certainly if a child, you know, is physically, verbally assaulted or harmed, certainly. But even a child who grows up in a home where domestic violence is happening, even if they were never physically harmed, but certainly hearing things happen, witnessing, seeing things happen, that absolutely can impact can impact mm-hmm. a person. So while that is something that's not necessarily an isolated event, it is something that happens over an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And there's so many layers to something like that. Mm-hmm. So that would constitute complex trauma. Mm-hmm. Other folks I've worked with, um, we certainly tend to think of military you know, that's really where the term post-traumatic stress came from was mm-hmm. years and decades ago with, you know, soldiers mm-hmm. um, and people going going to war and coming back and their lives were tremendously disrupted and disturbed based on what they had witnessed and experienced. Um, but really coming from that, um, there are other things I've worked with people who have had um, severe medical complications. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's from surgeries, whether it's diagnoses mm-hmm. um, that has really negatively impacted their life and they are struggling to access what we call resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things like that. Um, you know, I worked with someone who went in for a certain type of surgery and woke up to 
clearly once the doctors got in there, noticed some really more significant, way more damaging things. And so this person woke up to part of their leg being removed. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. That, that, so, was, I would say that is definitely traumatic. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like without your consent, you didn't plan for it. Like it, that's, that's absolutely. a hugely jarring thing. Sure. Um, some women who have had um, multiple miscarriages. Mm. Now, some women certainly have had miscarriages. It's, it's all really sad and unfortunate, right? Uh, but some women are able to, again, access and navigate more resiliency. Mm-hmm. And resiliency can come from um, people in our lives who love us, who are there mm-hmm. to support us, who are there to walk through some things with us, um, a medical team who is kind and compassionate. Um, maybe even having some mental health support, having some good nutrition, mm-hmm. getting able, getting ready to have some healthy sleep. Mm-hmm. That certainly helps things from getting locked in the body that are negative. Right. Um, some women don't have that. So mm-hmm. for some women, miscarriages can be really traumatic. Um, so there are layers and layers. You heard me mention even a, being a part of a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people, trauma gets locked in. Mm-hmm. There's also a misconception that if something bad happens to a person or around a person, mm-hmm. that it automatically is traumatic. Right. And that is not true. Mm. If we go back to an example of a car accident um, or even a surgery, you know, let's say we've got an athlete. Let's say we've got an athlete who blows out their knee, um, which is certainly sad, unfortunate, painful. They go in. They have a great kind of caring medical team. They get the surgery that they need. They've got supportive people around them. The surgery goes well. They're healing, um, and they're rehabbing their body and slowly able to get back to where they are. Might that injury have been really crappy? Sure. Did it get locked in their experience as something really traumatic? Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. It was just something that was really unfortunate, and they were able to move through that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, I think that's also something important. I think at times we can be slow to name something that's trauma, but we can also be too quick to name Mm -hmm. that something's traumatic if maybe it really wasn't for a person. Yeah, I've had a lot of young people say, Oh, I have PTSD. And I think a lot of people self-diagnose mm-hmm. now, whether that's because they can't afford to get a therapist or they can, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, they're not with a professional. Yes. Um, and I've heard, I've heard some examples where I thought really have PTSD about that. Like, you know, they, but then I was like, Oh, I don't want to judge, but it sounded like, you know, you know, like some things are really ridiculous. Like I've got yes. PTSD, you know, from Starbucks because somebody, you know, yes. messed up my, and I think, you know, messed up my order. And then I think that's really not fair for people who have been through things that have given them complex trauma Absolutely. disorder because it's that word is like being misused. And I think sometimes people lean on it um, as a crutch and don't access that, you know, um, resilience within them to, to move forward and, and I think some people can self-cripple I Absolutely. definitely know people that self-cripple and um, sometimes they have a personality disorder or borderline personality disorder and but they self-cripple themselves and they go well I have all of these things kind of like a have contract would mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. because it keeps them in, in this really like fetal safe space and that feels more comfortable or easier or it's more attention seeking yes whatever and that's obviously like uh, a mental health issue of its own. Absolutely. But then for, like you mentioned, the soldiers who have been away and witnessed war and death and 
you know, sexual abuse survivors and, and people who have been through really heinous things, I think, well, that's word is like sort of reserved for people who've been through things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you, you know, if a manager yelled at you in Ulta Beauty, like, you, you know, and you go, I have PTSD from, from beauty stores now, you're like, well, I think that's something you could probably quite easily work through yes. and you're not doing the work. You know, you mentioned earlier, like we've all got to do the work. Do you think everyone could benefit from a therapist? Um, I, I mean, I certainly do it uh, from time to time. I, I'm not quick to say everybody needs to the- see a therapist. Um, you know, I think sometimes even someone saying something, someone like a life coach, mm. just for some more cognitive, supportive, goal-setting things. Yeah. Um, is that something I do with clients? Of, of course it is. Um, but, you know, do I think from time to time all of us, you know, have these pockets in our lives where we go through things that are really hard? And maybe we're stuck in them, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they continue to impact our lives a lot longer than we anticipated mm-hmm. that they might. Yeah. Or maybe you're lacking um, just uh, just some resilience on mm. how to kind of move through this. Yeah. Or that we keep feeling things in our bodies. We keep having things continue to impact us. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's just something within our nervous system, mm-hmm. whether that's chronic headaches, um, different things can manifest and show up in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I think therapy, you know, doing the deeper, what I call the deeper dive, that's typically the clients that are coming to see me, is they'll say, I'm ready to dig in. Right. Um, And they'll say, I've done therapy before and I've done some good stuff, but I know I need to dig in deeper. Yeah. And that's when they're showing up with me. So, you know, do I think people coming in and I call, I tell clients, some clients who see me for maybe a year or so and then I don't hear from them for a while, which means things are going great, which mm-hmm. is what I want for them. Yeah, you want people to not I, have to I come back. I want people to not have to come back. But, you know, on occasion they've made this, they've built this secure, you know, safe and secure attachment relationship with me so that they know that when they hit some other bumps in the road that maybe they need a little more help with, mm-hmm. I just let them know, come on back for mm-hmm. your 50,000 mile tune-up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because we all need that. And, and for them to hear that, not like, oh, you couldn't manage your life, so you have to well, come back to therapy. Well, you clearly failed, so right. you, you know, drag, your, drag yourself back exactly. here. Exactly. It's not about that at all. It's, I'm in another tough spot, mm. and I'm so glad for this you know client, they're able to go, hey, I know a safe and secure person mm-hmm. who was my therapist who can maybe help me move through yeah. some hard stuff too. And I'm not a part of their regular everyday life. And so that can be really helpful for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing. Um, That's really interesting. I think it's so important, and I like that you touched on the fact that there is a difference between trauma and hardship. And going back to what I said a minute ago about people that self cripple, mm-hmm. um, and keep themselves in those very like codependent places, I think that people are probably a lot more resilient than they realize, mm-hmm. and that then that there is a a resilience within them that, that can be um, used to help move through life. You know, I, I've been through a lot of difficult things in my life. And, and if somebody wants to identify something as trauma, I'm not going to take that away from them. Sure. You know, but I do think there are examples of people that, you know, have been through something that, yeah, was, as you said, difficult and unfortunate and sad, mm-hmm. but it's not war and it's not, you know, being punched in the face by your family members every day, mm-hmm. you know, or your childhood, you know, mm-hmm. there's a difference. And I think that, you know, we're in this certainly generation and period of time where um, 
and going back to what you said about you know the maybe the generation x or the baby boomers that look down at the millennials and go god you guys are so like weak and you don't have any backbone and you no work ethic and you don't know what it really takes and i think there is some of that where it's like everybody's a bit fragile and everybody's a trauma survivor and you know and that can be too much because as you're saying there is distinctions and not everybody is but the good side of that is that everyone's becoming a bit more aware of their mental health and getting help and you know if it takes everyone everyone you know having sort of a meltdown first to get through things then I think that ultimately is a good thing you know how much of a mind body connection do you believe there is um, I think we're a culture that is missing out on that, mm. um, especially for, you know, and, and have we seen an increased wave of, let's say, yoga mm-hmm. in this country? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, in Eastern Eastern cultures, East, have they been doing that stuff for a long time? Oh, yeah. Like, we're so behind. Thousands of years. Yeah, in, in that regard. So, you know, when we think of yoga, we think of bringing that mind-body together. For trauma survivors... Um, especially people who have had, um, well, anything that impacts the body, um, but especially people who have um, any kind of physical, even mental, emotional, but especially any kind of physical assault. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this uh, a lot with complex trauma. Um, we know that over 80% of people who struggle with eating disorders have suffered some type of physical and or sexual trauma. Really? Um, What's yeah, the so, correlation there? Um, well, it's, it, it's just that correlation um, of the body and needing to feel like you're in control, mm-hmm. which of course an eating disorder also makes people feel in control and very out of control at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a ruptured experience with their own body. Mm. And so when That's you talk such about a the, powerful way of, of describing that, a ruptured experience. It's a ruptured experience. And so oftentimes folks who have experienced um, physical and or sexual trauma, for example, but mm. other people can experience this too. It's almost as if the head is literally removed from the body. Mm. And so oftentimes people are not able to tell you how they are feeling in their body mm-hmm. Um difficulty connecting with any kind of uh, visceral feelings, sensations. Mm-hmm. Um, what we are more, quote, easily able to do is we can tend to talk about what's happening in our body if it's something unpleasant. Right. So if we've got a stomach ache, if our throat hurts, if we've you know pulled a muscle, um, if we have a headache, um, even things like that. So we tend to be more, which makes sense because the primitive part of our brain says, Something's wrong and I need attention to, to heal that. But we tend to just really notice when things are going wrong in the body. Mm. Um, and my goal is to certainly help clients be able to move through some of that, mm-hmm. um, literally kind of moving that out of the body, but also being able to invite them into connecting with their body when things feel good, mm. when things feel just right, when things feel calm, content, Mm. um, more regulated, more stabilizing. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, for a lot of folks, especially in early trauma healing, they want nothing to do with connecting with their body Mm. because when that traumatic event was happening or experience or what have you being, when they were connected to their body, something really bad was happening. Right. So it coupled with this message of, I, I do not need to tap into that right now. Mm-hmm. It's not safe. It's not safe. It feels scary. It feels nauseating. It feel, it hurts. Um, 
And so there's a pretty painful awareness of, Mm -hmm. can we just talk about thoughts and feelings? Please don't have me connect to Mm. basically below the neck. That's Um, where the healing comes in, though, where it's difficult. And trauma gets locked in the body. There's so much research that's been out. So what we know about healing trauma, if we really look at healing trauma, you know, people can talk about, all of us can, we can talk about our thoughts and our feelings all day long, Mm. um, which is important which is important in healing in and of itself. We can also tell our stories. And and in lots of ways, we all have stories to tell about lots of different things in our life. Mm -hmm. What we know to be true for a lot, and again, this is kind of the modalities I pull from as a clinician, um, I don't need to know the details of a traumatic story. I don't need to know that in order to do some healing work. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of trauma survivors, there is a nervousness, there's a scary piece, especially for the sexual trauma, this embodied fear of if I go do this trauma work, that must mean I'm going to have to talk about the traumatic event. Right. And then um, sometimes those things are just hard to even saying absolutely. words come out of your mouth. It's just like people are sometimes more scary than anything. Absolutely. And so what I like to really reassure people is we can do some really beautiful healing work mm-hmm. and I don't have to know any of it. Right. Because what is important is that they do know it. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but they know it. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Mm-hmm. That's enough for them to know it. And so they're able to pull up thoughts and, and things that have happened to them and I'm able to guide them in some other ways with their body to help slowly move that out. And That's every amazing. person's different. Yeah. There's not a time frame. Um, I was going to ask, do you think that there there's a time limit or period on healing? Like if somebody's 80 years old and they had a really traumatic experience at 10, you know, and 70 years have passed, do you think that that person can still experience healing? Or is mm-hmm. there, you know, is it better to do it closer to the time? Like what what is... I've had some therapy in my life um what's the name of the therapy where they they do like emdr yes sorry no one else could see what i was doing but i was like (laughs) waving my hands across my face um i did that and i it was very powerful and that's um what what are the the names of those letters emdr so eye movement um rapid uh um, desensitization and it really it, it impacted me i kind of felt a little bit was present in my body and in my mind but a little bit like out of it almost like hypnosis tiny Mm -hmm. bit um and I really cried Mm -hmm. and and really brought up some stuff and I'm I'm okay with crying I've you know I've I'm quite um aware in my own mind of my own journey and what I've been through um but it was really interesting having that experience of talking to somebody else and who was a stranger like Mm -hmm. that was my first therapy session with somebody um I think a lot of people get afraid of reaching out for help, especially, you know, where I'm from in England. That is just not a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very renowned for... um, I want to be careful, like, how many times I say that to you because I don't want to, like, solidify it and be Mm -hmm. be truthful. But, like, we are renowned for, like, not talking about our feelings and, you know, post-war, closed down, just get that very workhorse mentality, Mm -hmm. like, get on with it. Mm -hmm. It is changing now with the younger generation and and, um, the... The Royals, I'm sorry, I'm whacking the mic. Um, the Royals, especially Kate and uh, Will, are really doing like a mental health initiative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's, there's good progress and good change coming along. Um, but I think a lot of people are afraid. And some of it is, I think, what you've said of people just don't want to touch on it because what they've been through is really 
harrowing and they don't feel safe or they're, they're just not ready. Mm-hmm. And some people, I think, just don't give it credit, mm-hmm. you know? So I just or, think that's interesting. Yeah, or going back to even what you just said, either, you know, um, it's sensitive, it's tender, they don't feel safe. Or even growing up, whether it's cultural or familial of... We just don't do this. We mm. don't talk about this. or We don't do that in our family. We don't do that in our we carry on. Or we just keep it in the family. And mm. so for someone to step out of their family, depending on what that cultural or familial norm is, that in and of itself is a big deal. Yeah. So if I've got somebody coming, especially depending on what culture, coming in and just those first few sessions, we may never even touch on um, – I mean, we may touch on why they're there, but we're really going to secure and get to know some of the the beliefs and the meaning and what's been taught to them about what it even means to come to therapy. Mm-hmm. Because for some people, it is, um, again, outside of the familial norms, values, morals. Um, you're telling a stranger about, you know, our family problems. Um And if you're having to do that, there must be some messages wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're weak or why couldn't you get this together on your own? You know, maybe you're more crazy than you thought you were. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these different beliefs and messages that can just Mm -hmm. get wrapped up in the idea of even going to therapy. A lot of shame. Absolutely. Let alone why they're actually really coming. Right. So, you know, for me as a clinician is I've got to be really mindful of that, Mm -hmm. sensitive of that, um, and meeting people in that. Because if we don't touch on and really get more of a foundation around that stuff, mm-hmm. there's no way we're ready to go into the trauma work yet. Yeah. You know, that's all of that is setting those foundational pieces yeah. that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And you've been in practice for, what, 15 years now? I've been doing this type of work for 15 years. Yeah. Um, I've been back in private practice now for about four years. Okay. Um, but have been in the field for, for quite some time working with yeah. different populations and, and with different pr- programs and yeah. facilities. How healed from your own life or trauma do you have to be as a therapist to help other people? Mm, that is a awesome question. Um, Thank you. <laughs> how healed do you have I to be? I still need that approval. I like. love it. Yes. So that is such a meaty, hearty, like we could talk about that for a day. Mm. Is it okay to keep on going your own healing yes, and helping other people? It's, it's essential. Or do it's you have essential. to be enlightened? So, no. So, to me, um, so I have a therapist. And one of the things that is important to me is that for my own therapy, I will not see a therapist who doesn't have a therapist. But how far does that go? If your therapist has a therapist and their therapist has who's the top therapist? That's a great question. Um, I... Yeah, it's it, welcome to the community, right? It, maybe it's just this huge spiral, Circle, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like a shoulder massage train. You're Absol- just like, everybody's getting just keep taken going. care Absolutely. of. So do I think, you know, for me, do I need to know why my therapist is seeing a therapist? And do I need to know it? for? Well, of course I don't. Um, but it is essential. And it's actually in our code of ethics. Mm. Not necessarily to have a therapist, but to be taking care of ourselves on a mental, physical, emotional um, path, um, Mm -hmm. in order to do the best for clients. Um, you know, there, it addresses things such as burnout or vicarious trauma or Mm. things like that. So, and what is vicarious trauma? So vicarious trauma can really be anybody in healthcare, for example, can get that first responders Mm. can get that. So this is something where, 
we like have, paramedics and that's right like paramedics that. police officers firefighters uh seeing like on the ground really really absolutely. emergency things. er nurses mm. doctors certainly um us in um in mental health care behavioral health because i know while i may not visually see a car accident i am hearing and sitting with people's stories and mm. so after time if i'm not taking care of myself that can continue to build and build mm. so are all of us, those that I just named, exposed to vicarious trauma based mm-hmm. on our helping and healing and service professions? Yes. What's so essential is is that all of that does not continue to pile up mm-hmm. until we just kind of crash and burn and we can't do it anymore. And we do see that in the field. We see that in terms of um, attempted suicide. We see that in um, suicide that's been followed through is people who are, or we see that medical illnesses, mm. people who have built and built and built or get out of the field or get out of the industry mm-hmm. um, because they haven't done some of that really good self-care work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for someone who, like myself, so I am also a complex trauma survivor and I have done lots and lots of work on me, mm-hmm. um, whether that's with therapy, support groups, um, intensive healing retreats, mm-hmm. um, reading, um, f- friendships, family, you know, all those mm-hmm. different pieces. Um, I've done some really incredible, impactful work. Um, and I can't imagine where I would be today without that. Mm-hmm. What I also know to be true is just because I've done tons of work, this even happened just a couple of years ago. I was going along doing something and all of a sudden something really poked me. I call that it poked like it kind of Triggered, me, you. triggered me and touched mm. me in a way that's such a i was gonna say trigger happy word but yes people love to say i'm triggered yes so now i say i my clients are familiar with me saying i got poked that's funny um and all of a sudden something came up from a, a trauma from my past and i remember thinking damn it why is what in the world why is this coming up or what about this is coming up i've done so much work on yeah. You know, dot, dot, dot. That's so this? interesting that you're far enough away from the trauma to recognize, hang on a second, this is this is a trigger, this is coming up. It doesn't just consume you and, and you become dysfunctional. Yeah, it, it certainly didn't. It, it What it did do is it kind of, it did, I felt, um, as some of our um, urban dictionary young adults say, I, I was shook. <laughs> I got shook. <laughs> Um, and it did impact me like the rest of the day that I work with lots of young adults or yeah. the next couple of days um, to where I really kind of had to connect with what is that about? Mm-hmm. I wonder why that poked me in a way. Mm-hmm. And so what it did is it didn't make me incapacitated, mm-hmm. which maybe years and years ago that that would have kind of taken me down for the count for a little while. Mm-hmm. But it touched on something. It's like, gosh. I have worked on that, mm-hmm. but that was a little, I just got a new bit of information. Mm. Yep. I just got a new bit of information that I didn't know kind of needed to, to have some work on. Mm-hmm. The good news was, is that because I had done so much other helpful healing work, I could get back connected with my therapist and say, man, this really poked me. Mm. And within three or four sessions, we had moved that out. Mm. I had to have awareness and learned from yeah. it. And I was like, Okay. And then I could feel it move out of my body. Like, okay. yeah. Did you have a physical response? Like, did you feel nauseous or afraid? Or it, it, it was some anxiety. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, it was a fear based response. Right. Um, and that when we're in that state, just like, you know, within our biochemical cells, when we have a fear based response, is that because we're 
in that flight or fight mode and we're, we're afraid that we're having to encounter it or experience it again. That's a, that's, that can certainly be the case, but that's on one extreme end of the spectrum. Mm. So it's like people that have been physically abused, like if there's a loud noise or whatever, they kind of like flinch. Sure. That can be what we call hyper being hypervigilant. Mm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're back into this fight or fight place. It just means that there's a really hypersensitivity mm-hmm. to certain types of sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard a common example of, um, I've worked with people who have been a part of um, gang violence, for example. And I've known people who have just been walking in a parking lot at Target and a car backfires out of the you know muffler of the car and they immediately lay down on the ground mm-hmm. in the middle of the parking lot at Target. Like it's a gunshot. Like it's a gunshot. So does that shake a person? Sure. And depending on if they've been doing any work on that, they may be able to move out of that physiologically a little more quickly than, let's say, someone who has not done any work around Mm. that. Um, So again, you know, for me in that one instance that I'm recalling, you know, I certainly had shortness of breath. I kind of got this flood of, of a kind of a chemical response in my body. I felt a little anxious and scared. Like a panic. A little bit of a panic. Um, you know, I, I did start crying, you know, later that afternoon because I could still feel it. And I was so bewildered about this thing kind of coming back up, but was able to self-soothe enough and mm-hmm. connect with a friend and say, hey, I just need to tell you about something that just has really messed with me today. Mm-hmm. And just being able to share that and unpack that with someone mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to hold it all by myself yeah, um, was also really helpful. And then again, like I said, I was able to reconnect with my therapist, be able to make a deeper meaning, yeah. and to kind of talk about and move some of that sensation and feeling mm. out of my body. And then it was just done. Right. Then it was done. It didn't have to consume you. That's right. And, and that's the biggest piece with trauma work is, you know, lots of times people will say... Gosh, you just need to get over that. And I think with a lot of... If anyone can... I can't... No one can see me, but I just rolled my eyes. (laughs) You you just need to get over that. And so... Isn't that so damaging when people say that? It's very damaging. And the truth is, for starters, if they could get over it, then they would have already. Right. And the truth is, is I don't help anyone get over anything. Mm. It's funny. I help people get through things. Right. Yeah. There's a song... um, um, Boston, our first um, guest on season one, where we did Let's Talk About Weight, she quoted the song uh, by The Fray, um, and I believe it's called Ungodly Hour, and one of the lines is, the best way out is through. Mm. And I think that is, you know, people have to go through the mud in that. And, you know, in the vein of being honest, I have absolutely been guilty of that in, in my life, of, of telling people, we'll just get over it. You know, um, with my own loved near and dear ones, you know, who have been through really really big traumas you know I I unfortunately know too many people that have been you know sexually abused and you know just really harrowing terrible things um and I've gotten to a point where they're I think I've said like well can you basically just get over that now or or like we've talked about it enough because it's at the point where like I can't handle it anymore Mm -hmm. because some of those people have been really close people in my life and their the ripple effect from their trauma when they they weren't over it or they weren't seeing a therapist is they were putting that responsibility on me to help them through and and play roles that were not 
my business mm-hmm. to be played. So my adolescent response was, well, let's just just stop talking about it. Like, get over it. That was a long time ago. Like, but that was my way of going, I can't handle this. I'm not mm-hmm. equipped. I'm not trained, you know. Mm-hmm. So that I get, I get when people, like, when people can't take it, and sure. you know they don't want to talk about it, or we or we don't talk about that, or or they they can't sit with the heaviness. And I'm very good now, and have been, and I'm much better now. You know, you continue to grow and elevate as you grow older. Of sitting with intensity, and mm-hmm. you know, being um, being okay with the emotion. Like I'm not afraid of somebody crying. I can hear people's stories. You know, I'm in no way a trained therapist, but I'm good at sitting in those things. Um, but when people make you responsible for their healing, I think that's mm-hmm. when it can be a burden. You know, you must, sure. like you said, you know, you, you called that friend to say, I, I just need to unpack this. I think it's really important that you you don't sit alone in things because you can self-soothe some things and, and probably more efficiently if you've done work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is important to share and process and have somebody, even if it's that one person, you know, but you, you have to have the responsibility. You have to be evolved enough and mature mm-hmm. enough to realize that you can share with somebody, you can have somebody process with you, but you cannot make it their burden. Sure. And, you know, kind of going back to what you're sharing about, maybe like you've got this one friend and they just keep going on and on. I mean, all, almost often about the same thing or complaining yeah. about the same thing. It becomes or, a boundary issue at that point. Sure. Or struggling with the same thing over and over. And so for me as a therapist, and of course, you know, I, I know you're talking about in terms of being a friend to this person, but especially if you're being a, a, just a supportive friend, if someone keeps talking and talking about it, the hope is, is that whether you can say it or this friend can have an awareness of, gosh, I, I have been talking and complaining about the same thing for like a year and a half mm. or like two years. And yeah, it it's not getting any better. So mm. sounds like probably we need to start doing something differently. So yeah. for me, when I'm, when I'm a th- as a therapist and a client, you know, I have this often where clients will come in and they'll talk about, you know, a, a, the same event or a person or let's say it's a breakup, mm. a, a romantic breakup or some kind of dialogue with a parent that they're having, um, you know, and then they'll say, I'm so sorry. I'm sure, you know, as they're crying or as they're upset, they'll say, I'm so sorry. I know you're so tired of hearing me talk about this. Mm. Almost like it's a broken record. It kind yes. of becomes OCD. Absolutely. And so then what I say to that person, and, and it can tend to be certainly a shift because people are going to stay where they are for as long as they want to. Mm. But for a lot of That's folks, a powerful statement. Mm-hmm. How in control of, of, your own healing, do you think people are? You're, it, it's all you. Wow. It's all you. We need facilitators. We need guides. I like to reference myself as not like this, um, you know, like the person. I'm just a guide for people. Mm. Um, but the truth is, is I'll tell a client, I'll say, you know, I, I am not sick of hearing you talk about this. Mm-hmm. And what that says to me is the fact that you're continuing to talk about it means that it's really important to you. Mm. And you might be sick of hearing yourself talk about it. Yes, absolutely. And that's okay to acknowledge. That's right. And so then that's the, that can be a segue of what would it be like to not talk about this mm. anymore? And yeah. for some people that could be relieving. For some people that could be really scary. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what it would be like to not kind of hold all this energy on this one thing. I think my mum, who's a therapist herself and um, family counselling, runs through my family, my grandma's a social worker and family therapist. My mum 
um, as therapist. She she worked in in you know the incarceration system mm-hmm. for juveniles, and um, so I have a very woke quote unquote family. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. My mum talks about um, how people tell themselves a script mm-hmm. and people can sort of write their own script you know we we do that like um when we have dialogue with somebody else or and they don't respond you know we can write the other side of the script that's but that's right. a very common you know thing people say um but that your experiences can really become your story and your mm-hmm. identity and so that question that you just proposed of what would it be like to, to not talk about this or not have this be your sole identity or all you identify with I think a lot of people probably go through that and and that's an interesting question Mm -hmm. do you think that there's anything that cannot be healed from like have you ever heard of something so traumatic that you just think oh you poor little flower like that's you know you're gonna have to live with that forever or do you think that certain types of restorative healing work can go through the most harrowing things you know I know I know that you've heard of stories of people that you're just like whoa like Mm -hmm. you 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 don't ever think of that situation until someone tells you it, like really jarring sure. things. Have you ever met someone where you thought, wow, I can't help you? Um, you know, in the terms of, you know, I have definitely heard heard some stories and heard things where I thought, you know, that's just pure evil, mm. you know, that something has happened, something like that's happened to a person. You know, in terms of things being healed, you know, um, we often know based on some science and research, someone, it, it's more so if we look at kind of the mental health condition. Mm. So, for example, someone who is like legit, you know, clinically diagnosed, let's say, with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, for those folks, um, that is very difficult to work with because um, typically those people, for starters, those people don't think they need to be in therapy anyway oh, because God. it's everybody else, right, that right. needs to change. How hard is on. that for you as a therapist? Um, it's it's a very challenging population for, for me to work with. Um, I certainly have worked with those folks. Um, you know, my, my experience is also is I don't see many of those folks because, again, they're not coming to therapy. Um, yeah, that's true. Typically people with that type of personality disorder – they are only coming to therapy um, at the risk of losing something really important to them. Right, like someone's put an ultimatum out. Someone's put an ultimatum on them. Um, you're going to lose your job. Um, you know, you may be incarcerated. Mm. Um, your marriage may end. You know, major things like that. Mm-hmm. So to kind of pick back up where just naming about is there a type of person that I just can't help? Mm. Um, for me, I, for starters, I have a wheelhouse. I have an expertise in education in certain areas. So there are certain populations of people um, that I that I'm not going to work with only because it's not my it's not my area of of expertise or education. Sure. Um, but also depending upon um, a person's mental health or diagnoses based on what they have going on, it doesn't necessarily mean they can't be helped or that um, there can't be some healing impact. Um, but I have never heard necessarily a story. Or something traumatic that is just like, oh, they're a lost cause. Right. Um, I have not experienced that. Um, have I experienced people who have um, who are torture survivors, for example, and who have lived through something pretty horrific for multiple years of their life? Um, that is going to impact them um, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be some ongoing work for them. Do we know that there is some major healing that can happen? Yes. Um 
you know, but again, certain types of mental health, we can only go so far mm-hmm. and do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the help is there and, and they, they can, yeah. they can do the best they can. And again, for someone, what is health and success and doing well for one person may look really different for somebody else. Mm. Um, so for some people, our society might be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's all they're doing in their life. Mm. But but some people it's coping and surviving. But for some people, that they're in a place where they're like, this is the best life I've ever had. Mm. So that's where, again, I think we can all walk around shaking our fingers and certainly judging other people. So again... Yeah. Well, what's that phrase? When I point one at you, there's three back at me. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I have a tattoo that you're probably aware of that says, when we judge people, we have no time to love them. Yeah. And I love that. I thought your tattoo said we have no space to love oh, them. But I no love, time to I love, love that yeah. too. And so again, I think it... Um, who's to say where someone is successful Mm -hmm. and, and functioning and moving through the world. It's, it's that person to say. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, when a client comes in and says, I want to be happier than where I am, it's not my job to decide what that should look like for them. Right. Um, I want to sit with them and learn what that might be like for Mm -hmm. them. And is that reasonable or not? Yeah. Um, uh, and rational, Mm -hmm. um, and just to help people on that journey. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, a it's a privilege. That's amazing. Well, I think a really positive way to end this incredible episode um, and conversation that you and I have just had is what I've really taken away from what you've said is that there healing is possible and that there's power in, in giving the word hardship instead of trauma to some things and reaching, you know, diving deep for that resilience within you that we're a lot stronger than we think and that we can be our own champions and also that healing is available and there isn't anything too small or too big and you might feel so trapped in your own world and experience but that there's healing in in connectivity and that help is available. You've just got to be willing and there's so much self-empowerment in that, Mm -hmm. I think. Thank you so much for being a guest. This has been a fantastic conversation. I know how brilliant you are and now everybody else gets to know. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much. joining us on this episode of let's be honest be sure to follow us across social media using the tag let's be honest the podcast and tune in next week for our final episode of the season bye